Let us uh, get down to business. There, this is a fun passage in Acts. If you're here for the first time, which I don't, I don't think so, uh, some first-time visitors maybe, we are in the middle of a um, sermon series that's going to go through the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, kind of slow going on it, uh, not necessarily a chapter a week, but just taking our time to really uh, elevate the importance of the book of Acts not that it's any more important than any other book in the Bible, but that it highlights what the early church valued, what they endured, what they uh, set down as goals, what, they, uh, what, their, what their ethos was. And, and, and I want that for us as a church because nothing's new under the sun. And even though our time period is different and, and, and the, the sins of the world are of a different shade of color or whatever, it's still sin, it's still persecution, it's still struggles that, that have happened over the cross of the ages. It's part of being in the broken world. Well, then what can we do as God's church, Christ's church, as people who are light, as salt, the mouthpiece of the Lord, what can we do? And the best thing we do is, is learn from, from the experts who, who put it all together right there during the time of Acts. And so at the end of this journey, when this will end next year sometime, I hope we walk away with it as a church that's renewed, it's revived, that is unhindered uh, for the gospel and is ready to take it to the streets. And so today, we are in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and this is the new community. They are now coming together now as a body, as a community, uh, with a shared experience, and and, and we always elevate this passage of verse 42 through 47 as what the early marks of the church were and what uh, what we ought to be about. And before I get into that, because there's some work that I want us to do as a church, let me set it up. How many of you out here have a pet peeve? Raise your hand. Pet peeves, pet peeves. How many things, how many people have things that just straight up annoy them? Not their spouse, but just straight up annoy them. Yes, exactly. So for me, a couple things. Just so, just a journey to get to know me a little bit better. I'm the new senior pastor here. <laughs> uh, and so what, do, what, what, what annoys me? Puddles. Puddles with flip-flops. So as you walk through a puddle with flip-flops, your toes get icky and dirty. And my kids are incessant about splashing in them, not giving a care to the world. In fact, all of my pet peeves, my kids don't care about and celebrate them and do them. (laughs) It's a challenge. The other one is touching handrails in the public places or like an escalator ramp. I I will get on the escalator like this and not have to touch and just hope that I don't fall down because that is just a long rotating line of germs. Why would you put your hand on that? That is gross. I was this way before COVID. My daughter at the zoo last year was touching everything and I was like, you're just actively trying to get COVID. Please stop. And as we were leaving, I looked back and she's licking her hands. And I said to her, why are you doing that? She said, my hands were dirty. And I just, you know. But the best, I think the thing that I would talk about today is yard work. Yard work is another one of my pet peeves. And, and, and people in this church have been kind. Jamie Pryor came over to our house. Jamie Pryor over there, that, that her husband's back there, way there. You didn't do anything. She came over with a power washer, power wash things for us. And I'm thinking like, you know, I could do that, but I don't want to. And I don't want to. And I want to go out in flower beds and pull weeds and put mulch down. It's hot, it's dirty, ick. 
And then it doesn't last. You go back inside the next day, here's more weeds. Why? This is an exercise in futility. Let's put down rocks and call it a day. So imagine my surprise as a Christian, as I go through the, the word here, that a lot of the metaphors and the teaching tools that Jesus used all deal with agriculture and planting and soil. And so I need to bone, bone up on that and get a little bit better. I bring this up to you because today we need to go, go look at our soil a little bit as a church. And the, as we look at the early workings of the church, I want us to do some soil care. I want us to kind of look at the dirt in which we're planted. Because soil needs help. Along by itself, not so much, but, but I read in the Farmer's Almanac, because I'm not aware of it, so I read it, that you can put compost in soil, you can put nutrients in soil that allow it to be rich, that allow the roots of the whatever you plant to go deep and to get those nutrients and be established, and boom, here comes a flower or some sort of fruit, and yay, a harvest has been made. For us as a church, we need to look at our soil because we need to long for a harvest of souls. We are told in the gospel that a harvest of souls can happen, that we are the workers of the field, but the harvest is going to come by, by the Lord. And so that'll happen when he's good and ready. But I also think that happens when, when we as a church are, are ready to go, are ready for that harvest to happen. And sometimes especially with mainline churches that have been around for 50, 60, 70 years, sometimes we, we begin to neglect the soil a little bit. Not on purpose by any means, not out of laziness by any means. It just happens. After you go certain distances and years, you just kind of get settled. And you get settled in ways and we kind of, we may miss some challenges, some things that we could do that would be showing the Lord that would be ready for the harvest, that he would either bring us 3,000 souls or he would bring us five, but that he would bring us folks to share the gospel with. I want us to be ready for a harvest. I want us as a church to be the light into this community that shines brightly so that people would want to come and hear the gospel. And not only come and hear it, but by the grace of the Holy Spirit, maybe hear Jesus calling their name and they make a profession of faith. Wouldn't that be awesome if that just one person would do that on a Sunday? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Wouldn't it be great to expect that, that Jesus would do such a thing? Well, we need to look at our soil. We need to have some care. And, and I think what we see here in Acts 42 to 47 of the early church, we see the elements of compost. <laughs> I hate to say it that way, but nutrients that, that, that they put in their, into their soil that yielded the crop, that yielded the harvest of souls. Today, I want us to see and question what is the church that we all should strive to be? What is the church that we all should strive to be. And it's in Acts 42, and we're going to kind of bridge that gap together of how we can be like them. So, are you ready to dive right on in? Let's take out Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, page 1082 in the Pew Bibles. If you got your journals, you can open up to them. If you have your phone, you can use your phone, don't serve the web, all the things, okay? But if you can, let's have all eyes in Scripture, and let's see what happens. So, here we are. Peter has finished his famous first message. 
And the people have had a chance to respond to the gospel, and they did. They responded, they repented, they realized they were going the wrong way with their old level of thinking, and a new way has been, been pre presented before them, and they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of their heart, and they confessed him to be Lord and Savior. They repented of their sins, they got baptized, they received the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people are adding to the number by the Lord. Amen. What a great movement. Now Luke picks up the ball a little bit and begins to explain to us what then happened next in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Let's have a little gander. And they devoted themselves, circle devoted, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. There's four things there, apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. Verse 43, and all, circle all, that's A-W-E, not A-L-L, -L, all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Underline that, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, pop quiz, everybody, if you've been journeying along with us in the book of Acts, does that phrase sound familiar? Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Is it, is it tickling an ear of what we have heard once before? Raise your hand if it does. And if not, it's okay. Where have we heard it before? Well, no. When Peter was preaching, he said, many signs and wonders were done through whom? Jesus. And for what purpose? to prove and to attest that he is the true Messiah, the real deal. Now we have the church being established and many signs and wonders. That phrase is being used again, but it's not through Jesus now. It's going through the apostles and now through the church. This is how the church is getting its proof and its attestation. It's being devoted to the teachings of the apostles, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and many signs and wonders being done through them to say, hey, this is where you discover who Jesus is. Verse 44, then all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we read here about the early church, what we see is that having been captivated by all of this, they have been now driven to, fueled now to have a posture, to have actions, and to have an impact on the community. What we've just read here, we have read now the early church had a posture, a stance. And that stance could be a one of obedience. That stance could be one of receiving being a vessel in anticipation for God to work. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, we found the disciples huddled in a room before the Holy Spirit came, and they, the scriptures say, were devoted to 
the prayers devoted to each other in prayer. They were in anticipation for the promised Holy Spirit to come. Now the Holy Spirit's here and the church is doing the same thing. They are devoted. They have a posture. That word devoted means to with steadfastness and with strength to continually hold on to. That nothing's going to move you. No persecution, no hate, no wave. It's not going to move you from what you have devoted continually your life towards. That was their posture. So what did they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and continuing in prayer. Those four things. These were the things that they postured themselves to in devotion that they would never move away. This is what we're going to hold essential. And the first one is one that Bethel does very well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is the very, very prequel, pre-whatever, to the scriptures that you're holding in your hands right now. They didn't have any of this stuff written down. The apostles are just teaching. And what they're teaching is the simple gospel, that there was a Messiah, that he was born, that he ministered and, and loved on everyone here and challenged us all, and that he set up a new covenant. He died, was buried, raised again, and ascended. And there he waits until the kingdom comes again. That's their story. Say it again, say it again, say it again. And they stick to that. And so as that is being said, as through, through public speaking... They have to be devoted to that because you don't want to mess that up. You don't want to get the parts wrong. They don't have it written in front of them. Eventually, it starts getting written down to reference, right? Because we have the written word. But right here in the early beginning, they got to hold on to it continually. Now, we know that the church goes global from here, right? It expands and gets further and further out. And we have a whole New Testament of the Apostle Paul writing letters to churches saying, ah, you're messing it up. You're, you're letting false teaching get in. You're, 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 you're screwing this, this, this part up. As it gets bigger, it gets harder to do that. But right here at the very beginning, and stay devoted to the works, the, the teachings of the apostles. And I bet you, if you go in and look at what Paul says to those churches, there is probably an element in his exhortation to them that says, return to the word of the Lord, to really be devoted to that and to walk in those ways. This is how you're going to not mess this up. So they're fully devoted to the apostles' teachings. And that's what I said in the first service. I love that about Bethel. Bethel has been a church for the last 50, 60 years, and even probably before that, that has made it their DNA to say, we will not step away from Scripture. We will not compromise the authority of Scripture, no matter what people in the world say, no matter what our previous denomination says. We're not going to budge from that. And that is fantastic. It gives me great comfort to know that as the world may go crazy around us, we're all kind of united together in that thought that this is scripture and we're not going to depart from it. So what else did they devote themselves to? They devoted, this is their posture. They devoted to the apostles' teaching. They also devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, how many people in here have heard the word fellowship before? Raise your hand, right? We have a fellowship team here at church. And they're a very important team. You don't want to know why. They make the coffee every Sunday. So they're very, very important to have here on board. But even more so than that, they help prepare meals. They help us have gatherings together. And what has happened over the age of the church, the term fellowship has gotten a little watered down. 
into parties, social interactions. Still good. It's good to have fellowship like that. In fact, the next thing they're going to be devoted to is the breaking of bread. I'll get there in a minute. But here, fellowship means it's a little deeper than just gathering together to have a party or to have coffee, though coffee being very important. I digress. The word fellowship here in the Greek is koinonia. It's a common Greek word that's been thrown around, but what it means is a, is a binding together, a partnership of these people around a shared experience. For them, the shared experience was hearing Peter preach and being cut to the heart of their old way not being right and this new way being correct and repenting and wanting to be about that. They have, they're sharing this experience of receiving the Holy Spirit together. And so they're binded by that. They're bound together by that and it makes them a strong group that they won't move away from. This we have together and will remember and celebrate always. For us, our fellowship is if you are a professing believer of Christ, our shared experiences is that we are known by Jesus, that he has called us by name, and we have said, yes, Lord, be my Savior. I am a sinner in need of help. We have that shared experience that Jesus is our Lord. Where it can get icky is when we don't agree on those things. And so if we're in the strong fellowship together, it's saying to the person to the left and to the right, you matter to me. You are important to me. I want to be there when someone dies. I want to hold your hand and pray with you. I want to give you a casserole that I've prepared professionally. No, I want to, do, you know, I want to be there for you. You're struggling with an addiction. I want to be there to help you through it. That we don't let anyone behind. And that to give the store away, that type of community is infectious. It impacts the community around us. People see that and they see there's something different about this group of people. So they're devoted to the teachings, they're devoted to the fellowship of one another, they're devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, some commentators are split. They want to say that it's Eucharist and not a meal. Others say, no, this is just about having a meal because further down it talks about how they break bread in their homes and that's about having, having a meal together. Me, I'm okay with either or because I think the effect is the same. If it's Eucharist, meaning Holy Communion, and they devote themselves to sharing that day by day, that's good. Because having communion together is a reminder of our shared experience, of our fellowship, is it not? Having communion is a reminder of the death and resurrection Jesus went through for the likes of all of us, the new covenant that we are bound to. And so when we take it today, that should remind you of you being called and blessed by God and, in, and receiving his grace. That's great. That's part of the fellowship. That's part of the teaching. If it's just having a meal together, that too has the same effect. It strengthens the bond of our fellowship. We gather around the table. It's not a slapdash meal, but we're gathering together in unity as a church and eating and fellowship with one another and strengthening that shared experience. Either or is fine wherever you line up. But they devoted themselves to doing that not going our own separate ways after Sunday and not seeing each other until next Sunday, but doing life together. Now, that has become increasingly difficult with the church in our current age, right? Because people drive in from all... I've got some Hilliard folks over here. I've got some 
Plain City or Grove City or over here. I've got uh, Dublin back there. Hilliard. I mean, we're, we're all kind of, it's kind of hard to do. But nevertheless, it's the mark of the church. And it's what strengthens their fellowship. It's what strengthens their, their um, reliance on, on scriptures and, and doing that together, not on being an island anywhere. And lastly, through to the prayers, the continuation of prayers that, that they have open access now to pray to the Lord. There's not a veil that separates them that they, continue, can, they can continue to beseech the Lord, to expect the Lord to do stuff and to listen to them. And so they devote themselves to that because that is what their purpose for bringing them together. Now, how, how do they hold all that together? And, and this was not some committee meeting that they got together and said, okay, this is what we're going to say is important. How this came together is it was in verse 43, that an awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the process. What fuels their posture is their posture of being in full awe and reverence to what God can do. The question for us, as a, for us today is what is the church that we should strive to be? And the answer is the church that we are to strive to be is a church that never loses its sense of awe. That where it goes wrong for the church here in Acts and beyond even for us today and any churches that are around, where it goes wrong is they lose their sense of awe and wonder into the Lord. That they're no longer surprised, they're no longer expecting, they're no longer, they no longer need him. Something else has got their attention. Something else has got their desires. And therefore, I don't really need any of that. Nothing that's here is surprising me or catching me off guard anymore. <clears throat> if you go to the book of Revelation, you can look at all seven churches that John writes to. There's seven churches in the book of Revelation chapter 2. And they're listed. And John writes a letter to each one. Five of those churches run the risk of Jesus coming and removing their lamp turning their light off. We know that the church of Christ is always going to be victorious, but expressions of churches can have their lamps removed because the light that they are putting out is not true light. And so instead of sending everyone off on a false tangent, Jesus just doof, turns that off. And of those five churches, the reason why they are at risk and they... and, and, and John writes about specifics, like with one if, uh, church in Ephesus, they lost their first love, and they were more about being right and celebrating righteousness than the one who made them righteous. And there's La Laodicea, the lukewarm church that was, was amassing riches, and so they didn't really care, so they weren't even hot or cold. There was one church, I think it was Sardis, that was dead, a spiritually dead church. He's like, wake up. And so they all lost their sense of awe and wonder. What is awe? You circled it. Translated in the Greek, it means fear. There's two responses to fear. One response is to be caught off guard and to be struck and to want to draw nearer and to be like goose pimples and to all the things. I was at school at, in, in June at a doctor of ministry class and my professor is retiring. Told this story and I want to share it to you real quick. And he, him and his wife, now retiring, his wife is also a PCUSA pastor. They lived in Spokane, Washington some 40 years ago. And they had infertility problems. They couldn't get pregnant. And they tried everything. They did the in vitro. They were on the last 
in vitro implantation. And she was so tired of what was going on. She goes out into a field in Spokane, Washington, and she prays to the Lord. And she says, this is on you. If this is, this is going to happen, you're going you're gonna to make this happen and we'll be blessed. But if not, oh God. It's one of those prayers. Like, but if not, oh Lord. And she says, just give me 100, 200 spiritual children. Let me be a blessing to others in that way. And so the, the last in vitro session did not take, and the baby was not formed, and, and so they stopped that process. They end up going through adoption, and that has a whole other story well. And then they go through life ministering, being pastors, and, and then he became more of a, of a professor at the seminary. And so now he's retiring this June, and, and he's ending that, and he's telling us this story, and that they're going back to Spokane, Washington, because he's going to work with a company out there for ministry, um, helping pastors and seminary students, things of the like. And the housing market was as such that they could not buy the house by visiting. They had to go on Zillow, this house looks great, Contact a realtor out there, put a bid in and buy it. Like, you know, one of those deals. Who in the world, right? And that's what they did. And then she flies out to Spokane, Washington, goes to the house, calls up her husband and says, you'll never believe it. The house that we are buying, that we bought, is in the exact spot that I prayed that prayer some 30, 40 years ago. And so they're expecting to go and open their home to hundreds of spiritual children to live out their retirement years, influencing the next class of, of, of leaders in the church. That's all, isn't it? That's an amazing, only by God would that happen. When the church loses that, they are placing something else in the thing that is most important, that captivates their attention, that fuels their desires. And so if we want to be the church in which we want to strive to be, it's one that does not lose its sense of awe and wonder in the triune God, that we would dig deeper into the teaching of the word, that we would dig deeper in our fellowship with one another, that we would look for those opportunities to continue to break bread with each other, whether it be for communion or in our homes, and that we would never cease from praying. And never cease from expecting God to do amazing and wonderful things. And that if he does that, if we do those things, I believe we begin to tend to the soil and give it its compost and give it its nutrients that it needs. To say to the Lord, okay, we're ready whenever you are. And to be happy if that's two people or 500 people, but whatever it is, that people would come in here and hear the gospel and leave being called by Christ. How amazing would that be? This is the marks of the early church. Now, it goes on, and I said to Matthew, who's going to be preaching a couple weeks later, I really could divide this into two sermons, but I didn't. So, but you can, the, the part two of this is the impact that they had. It says here that they had favor with all the people. They had favor they were living in such a way with their posture and with their actions that it impacted the community around them. That more and more folks wanted to be added to their number. And it caused a little bit of a ruckus because these new Jewish converts still continued to worship in the temple, it says, daily. Now you all, I could, if we wanted to, set us up to have worship every day because it says we ought to. Are you ready to do that? 
So we'll all come in here about 4, 5, 30, 6 o'clock. We'll have worship every day. You good? No, everyone's like, absolutely not. You're lucky I can give you this hour and a half. But that's not because the scriptures are wrong. That's because we've filled our dance card up a little bit, haven't we? But that's, those are the marks of the church. And then there's the, the radical generosity where, where it says here that they, they gathered all their possessions and belongings together and then distributed it out to anyone who has need. In our current political climate, red flags go up. And they're like, that sounds like socialism. Like, don't preach that, you know, don't talk about that. And people who need to, they need to fend for themselves. But Jesus didn't write this. He didn't inspire this in those political systems. This is a Jesus Christism. This is what he's about. Always helping the poor, always helping the downtrodden and the sick. And so to be a kingdom valued people as a body of believers, it is to have a community that, that serves the community selflessly and with, um, without prejudice and to give to people who need and not looking at it as a handout, but as a hand up, I guess, as a blessing. This is the marks of those early church Praising the Lord continuously. How does that happen? By never losing the sense of awe and wonder. And so for us, Bethel, where, where's our soil? What's our soil like? We, we do some great things. I don't think we're that, that far off. There's huge potential here. But I feel like we're just on the precipice of a great revival. A great revival that's going to shine this light bright into this community and, and welcome folks in. But in order to do that, we need to make sure that we haven't lost that sense of awe, that we are continually devoting ourselves to the scriptures, to the word of the Lord, to the fellowship, the bond that is here, and continue to strengthen that and find ways to do so, to the breaking of bread and having meals, and never, ever stop praying to the Lord. Will you join with me in this posture, in this action, in this potential impact that we could have on the community? Well, then let's do this. Let's dance. All righty. Let's pray here, and we're going to have a breaking of bread occurrence. And let it be something that reminds you of the, um, the grace in which you have received. Let it empower you through the Holy Spirit to leave here with a good message to share with others. Let it bind us together as a fellowship of believers. Gracious Lord Jesus, thank you for this meal that we are about to, to partake and for what it means and what it signifies and that we would prepare and posture our hearts to receive that, O oh God, that we would be forever changed, O oh Lord, by, by, um, by partaking in this together as a family, as a fellowship of believers. For it's in your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. On the night the Lord was to be betrayed, he took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he poured out the wine and said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And then Paul adds the little addendum and I'll add an addendum to the addendum. He says, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim Christ's death till he comes again. And I would encourage you as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, let that reminder, that powerful reminder grip your heart that you have received the very grace of Jesus Christ who has called you by name into the family of this fellowship of believers. Let that strengthen you and embolden you 
to do crazy awesome things and have an impact in this community and the communities that you serve. The body of Christ is broken for you and the blood of Christ is shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Has everyone been served? I'm going to pray and invite the band to come up to close us in song. Oh, Lord Jesus, we come across passages like this that can seem like a mountain, uh, a full stop to think, and we begin to explain it away of, well, that was them, that was them. They were so close to the event, it makes sense, and, and that we let, try to let ourselves off the hook. But it stands here unapologetically of what of how you gathered these people together, these large sums of people, and, and uniting them around a shared experience of being cut to the heart, of being called by name uh, by you, O oh Lord, into this fellowship of believers. And then how that, 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 that fueled them, that, that sense of all that you are still working and performing amazing signs through the church and through, through the world that, that point to your, to your identity, that point to who you are. That we would never lose that, O oh Lord, and, and continue to be fueled by that even now in 2022 here in Bethel and Reed. That we may be a church that shines a light into this community that for folks who are lost would see it supernaturally and would come and want to hear the truth be told that you are the Christ. And that maybe, just maybe, take a knee at the cross and give their lives to you and humble submission and full repentance that you are the savior of their life. Oh, what a day that harvest will be. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.